Hey everyone, this episode of the Second Pine Podcast is brought to you by It's Just Soap. Many store-bought body washes and soap bars are made with toxic ingredients that are harmful to your skin. Soap should be healthy for your body, leaving you feeling clean, hydrated, and moisturized. It's Just Soap is made with natural ingredients, giving you a luxurious lather for the best shower experience. Every shower should feel this good. Go to itsjustsoap.com. That's it's just soap, S-O-P, leave off the A for additives.com. And use the code STAYHOMEHUSBAND for 15% off your first purchase. Before we jump into the podcast, we just want to ask you for a bit of help as we try to extend our reach. The easiest step is to simply subscribe or follow The Second Pint on whatever podcatcher you prefer. Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Google Podcasts, we're on all of them. A rating and review would take an extra minute, but would help even more. Finally, if you have a second pint drinking, scarf wearing, singing, wake up early to watch Weekend Soccer Friend, please, please tell them to check out this podcast. Welcome to the Second Pint Podcast. I'm Sean Melia, and I am joined, as always, on the other line by Boff Long. Boff, buongiorno. Buongiorno. What's up, man? We're back. Uh, back. Back in Parma. <laughs> back to talk about Parma. We were in we were in Milan last week, and uh, we decided let's do a super depressing club this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. What a uh, what a story. If you don't know anything about Parma, then you are in the same boat I was in about five days ago before I really started to look at this club and um man just a a really roller coaster ride of a club um on their wikipedia page i don't know if you saw this both just before we jump in to give people a sense of what this the history of this club is like the up and down roller coaster ride they have this and it might exist on other pages but it, it's so stark for this for parma they have like a a graph of placement within all of Italian football. Mm-hmm. So it's not just Serie A. It's like Serie A would be the top section and then Serie D would be the bottom section. And it just shows the place from each year from, in this case, from 1929 all the way to present day. And like the the drops and the peaks are incredible because this club has been everywhere um, and experienced every possible high and low Aside from winning a Scudetto, that's uh, that's kind of the one missing piece for them and a Champions League, I guess. But uh, just a just a crazy, crazy story. So let's just jump in and give you a I'll give you a quick rundown of the city of Parma. Not a lot to say about it. It's a small city. It's one of the Parma is one of the clubs that is not from a, a capital of a of its region. Um, Parma's got two hundred thousand people in it, so it's relatively small uh it's located in kind of the north central part of italy um in the emilia romagna region uh it's you know if you've if you've heard of parmesan cheese and uh and um prosciutto di parma that's where we are uh so you've got some ham and cheese uh pretty well known for its food and that's really kind of about it as far as parma's kind of culture and and um and hits i don't know if you've got anything on parma 
No, um, I for me, I, I think when I when I thought about Parma as a as a club that I wanted to do uh, a little research on was only because I knew that Hernan Crespo, um, yeah, played there for a little bit. Um, Hernan Crespo is is uh, I'd say legendary uh, striker, Argentine striker. Um, he's he's great to watch. He played at Chelsea a little bit, um, but yeah, it's one of those names that kind of just like I remember him. Uh, being at Parma for a little bit um, in his kind of uh, coming up years. Yeah, kind of more than a little bit. And then he also retired with them. He came back, which is, uh, as we've talked about, a trend in Italy. The siren song is strong in these yeah, clubs. It is. And it's kind of, it's a cool, I think it's a cool um, part of, of a professional career. There's something about the Italian game where a lot of players actually go there in the kind of twilight stages of their career um, and actually extend their career a little longer than, than you might think. Um, you know, I mean, we've got, we've got players uh, playing well into the, to the late 30s um, yep. at Milan. And, and, you know, soccer's a sport where, typically, at least in the past, you know, at 32, you were saying, okay, yeah, this is close to retirement. Um, or you're like a, a veteran. Now you're you're seeing that age kind of get um, I don't know older and older, in in a cool way. I think. Yeah, yeah. We talked last week about Maldini and even Beckham going to Milan when he had gone to the pastures of uh, MLS in in LA, and then decided, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go play in Italy. That seems like a a nice place to go for a little bit for a 33 year old who's kind of on the tail end of his career. And he went back for another run as on loan. Um, so that says something when you're willing to leave LA and that kind of close to retirement point and just go play in Milan. Um, certainly. And then guys like Maldini who played for a million years and just kind of like the Tom Brady of Italian soccer, 25 seasons at one place. Um, so Parma plays at the uh, Il Tardini, which was built in 1923. It's named after a former club president, Ennio Tardini. Um, it is a smallish stadium. It was a 13,000 seater until 1989 when they expanded it to 29,000 because Parma made reached the reached Serie A and they just needed a bigger place to play. Um, it's just a single level ground, so it's one of those. It's like a big old oval. It's got two kind of roof. I don't even know what it's called. I think I think we we've talked about what it's called, but kind of that roof that just hangs over the sides of the stadium. Um, yeah, it protects you if, if if it's raining out. It protects you. Yes. Yeah. It's it's not quite a terrace because the terrace is raised, but it's um it, it it's a little bit of protection from the elements. The entrance is kind of stunning. Um, it's got like a big massive gate and spires almost like you're entering some ancient old city um and it's just you know it's it's not really there's there's nothing great about about the stadium um i think it hosts some international matches every now and then uh but ultimately it's just a kind of a cool looking stadium in the middle of of parma yeah, I, I did a little research on, on the stadium in uh, just kind of what it looks like. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by um, Italian stadiums or any stadium that kind of just uh, has a different way of, of uh, treating its fans. Um, I think Italy is one of the, one of the few 
major um, leagues now where the fans are, are can be so close in, in some of these stadiums and their their level of um, fandom is just is you know second to, to, to no one um, and here you look at the, the seats it's just like a it's just a plastic chair on a stone slab mm. um, and you know I've, I've said this at, at other on other podcasts I'm a big fan of that classic look there's just no frills no fluff get in there watch football you know have a pint yep or a second pint or a second pint <laughs> yeah it just it does look like no frills just you're gonna sit for 90 minutes and watch watch a football match um okay. so this club as far as its history i do think it's somewhat important to go through some some definite benchmark dates and times before we talk about heroes and villains and cameos and stuff because it's it's quite a history and has plenty of low points um to be perfectly honest a lot of bankruptcy so the club initially was founded in 1913 it was called the verdi football club in honor of another giuseppe uh, giuseppe verde who was an opera composer um probably one of the very few sports teams named after an opera composer maybe the only one um, and they chose blue and yellow as their colors. But then four months later, Parma Football Club was founded in December of 1913 when Verdi's original players started wearing a different color shirt, a white shirt with a black cross, um, which is now part of the crest that, that the club has. Um, it's just kind of a strange little change, but it stopped it stopped uh, being Verdi Football Club and kind of just turned into Parma uh, in the span of four or five months. Um, the club also has a distinction of being founding members of this of Serie B, of, of Serie B in 1928 and of Serie C in 1935. Um, and then we're going to just fast forward to 1968. The club was ordered into liquidation, so it just they had to sell off everything. Um, they were automatically relegated to Serie D in 1966. Um, there was a new club formed called AC uh, Parmit, maybe Parmenese, Parmenese, uh, that earned promotion to Serie D. So this kind of new club rose from the ashes of the club that was liquidated. Um, and they were able to adopt the sporting license that Parma had. So they could use the shirts, white shirts with the black cross on it, and also use the city name in their, in their, in their, um, in their name. So they went from Parmenese to Parma again. Um, I picture it like a liquor license. You, you got a restaurant, and then that restaurant buys the space, and they kind of get. They're like, oh well, we we can use your liquor license that you had before. So that was 1968 that that happened. 1990, they reached Serie A. Um, great success from 90 to 2004, which we will talk about. 2004, they went bankrupt. They managed, while bankrupt, to avoid relegation. Um, Parmalat, who was their owner, who's like, a, I think, a dairy conglomerate, um, experiences, quote, on Wikipedia, a financial meltdown. Um, so Parma spent three years in administration, so that was from 2004 to 2007. In 2008, they were relegated. In 2015, they had to be reborn again. So the, the club went under. Um, 
2015. There's just like, they should just be the, they're like cats, the amount of lives they have. So it was renamed SSD Parma Calcio 1913 was the, was the name. And they started again in Serie D. So they had to go all the way back down. Um, and they earned three straight promotions and found their way back to Serie A in 2018. Um, there's a great podcast on world football that I listen to. It's like 26, 27 minutes long, kind of talking about this chunk of time from 15 to 18 and an interview um, just kind of highlighting what was going on. But I, just to give people a sense of like this club has hit every time there's something going on, they just get like slapped down and have to start over. I mean, Serie D a couple times, bankruptcy a couple times. Um, kind of being reborn that they've had they've even just had what like four or five different names um, of the club and then just to break down the the years that they've spent in the different divisions they've been in Serie A for 27 seasons they've been in Serie B for 27 seasons they've been in Serie C for 30 seasons and they also spent five years in Serie D so they have really spent a lot of time in three of the four divisions of um of italian football so i just i think it's worth just putting that all into perspective or giving people a context of what's going on with this club before we dive in yeah i was just gonna add like you when when the quick notes or nuts, nuts and bolts of, of a club mentions almost their entire history um of uh of up and down you, you know you're in for a ride yeah i just i felt like considering all the bankruptcies it's what is it three different times um yeah. Just to just to give people a sense of where this club has been and what they've dealt with. Anything you want to add to the nuts and bolts? No. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, when I was reading up, up on on Parma, I I, I thought a lot about um, just the I don't know the the fragile nature of uh, of, of football clubs in Italy. I, I haven't really seen that same storyline or, or trend in in England. Yeah. Uh, I think you know we were shocked that clubs went were, went into ad- administration, um, and we were just like, "Wow, I can't believe that happened! I can't believe they're you know they didn't spend their parachute payments well." Um, here, it's like it's it's there's so much less of a safety net, and there's so much more of a of a risk of freefall. Um, so yeah, I I, I want to kind of highlight or underline that that difference between um, England and Italy in, in terms of a, a club's security. Yeah, I mean, even if you if you look at a club like Leeds, who we talked about, they had it really tough, but I don't think they ever fell below the second division. Right. There, There's definitely, it just feels like Italy just cuts your legs out from under you if you end up in a bad spot. They're like, all right, you got to start over. <laughs> it's like a yeah. video game. Right, but like there's there's this really crazy ability to start over and then pump, like, like bump back up. Like Fiorentina, which we talked about earlier mm-hmm. um, you know they went they went uh bankrupt and, and they they had to sell the club and fans fans were sad and the flag was even dramatically t- you know taken down uh as kind of this like flame going out but yet you know they're back in syria yep um so you know and you think of like that netflix series about sunderland mm. um, you know like they, they look like they're not gonna come back up for a long time yeah um, so uh, yeah, it just that was interesting, and I, I was reading it, and I was a bit sad, but also I was kind of just looking at how maybe unique uh, Italy might might be um, when it comes to clubs and insolvency and bankruptcy. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, that's a, that's a good point. We've seen a, a lot of those clubs. So let's get into let's talk about some rivals. So we've got I found uh, Derby de Lanza, which is their derby with uh, Reggiana, who are their kind of bitterest rivals, mainly because of the two cities that it involves, Parma and Reggio Emilia. Um, no great stories. Bologna is another one. Um, and then Juve, of course, because what would a rival section be in Italy without someone hating Juve? But the interesting part with this one is there is a little bit of recent history, especially in that golden era for Parma, which really ran from kind of 1992 to 2002. They played Juventus in six of 14 different finals that they that they reached. So almost half the finals that Parma played in, whether it was within Italy or even a UEFA Cup final in 1995, they always found themselves they found themselves playing Juventus. Uh, and then also the original black and white um, was believed to be inspired by Juventus. And then they changed to blue and yellow to distinguish themselves from Juventus. So that's kind of another little piece where they wanted to be like them and they decided they didn't want to be like them anymore and went to that that blue and yellow um, color and, uh, and the, the blue and yellow striped jerseys. Um, and then I think you found something similar to me that I had never heard of before, the Gemalaji. Gemayaji? Yeah, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that, but my Spanish background would, would suggest um, Hemelos, which means twin. Yeah, like Gemini. Right, yep. or, uh, or um, sibling. Um, and that was cool. I, th- I think both of us kind of were found it cool, uh, and that's why we put exactly the same, the same notes in here. Um, it's this kind of phenomenon, and I call it phenomenon um, because I don't know if I've seen this happen in other countries where a club is almost if a club likes a, another club and they kind of have this a little bit of solidarity or brotherhood yeah um, so yeah it's, it, in italy it's common for clubs to be twinned in an arrangement called uh i'm gonna try this one gemalaji yeah that uh, sounds better than i when i tried <laughs> <laughs> uh, an attempt i'm, I'm my second cup of tea here, so maybe I don't know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so Parma Parma enjoy amicable relations with Empoli in an arrangement that dates back to a game played in foggy conditions in 1984. Ended with Parma fans congratulating those of Empoli on its win when full time was whistle what was uh, when the full time whistle was blown without Azuri fans' knowledge. Um, perhaps a more current bond is felt towards the fans of Sampdoria, and it, I. I didn't know that you could pick a team to like and then pick a new team to like um, as, a, as a fan base. So it's like, okay, for this decade, we'll, we'll like Empoli for a little bit. And now, in this decade, we, we really enjoy our brotherhood with Sampdoria. Yeah. Um, and it was a strange because like, looking at my like, Syria Italian map, so I've got this cool clubs map on my, my wall here. And you look at Parma and Sampdoria, they, they have no business being sibling uh, sibling clubs. Yeah, it makes no sense. Because Sampdoria is in... Sampdoria is, is next to Genoa on the coast. Of, yeah, that's right. The boot pinches. And, you know, Parma, 
is more like kind of if, if the boot had like a, a button or a buckle. Yeah, it's in the the like north central section. Right. Yeah. So it's it's weird. I I, I don't get it. Um, it's kind of cool, and I I don't really know uh, why that is. Yeah, it's like an anti rivalry. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it the other thing that doesn't make sense is it's not like they are, um, like Sampdoria or Empoli doesn't have a rivalry with a like rival. You know, it's not it's not like that idea of I would be I would be a Mets fan because the Mets also hate the Yankees and I'm a Red Sox fan and I hate the Yankees. Like there's it's not like they there's a mutual hatred of someone else it's just like oh we like these guys what's that saying the enemy of my enemies is also my friend yeah yep yeah 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 but that doesn't seem to be the gist here it's just just Just, he's my friend yeah and in a and the fact that the at least this wikipedia article used the term arrangement it felt like it was it's organized in some way by somebody who knows so i don't know but that's the first i'd heard of it looking through any of the uh, the clubs that we've talked about. So who knows how rare or um, or popular it is as far as clubs being twinned. Right. Very interesting. Um, so that was kind of in your tradition section. The other tradition that I found, um, first off, the Parma fans are described as being placid. Um, so kind of a quiet fan base maybe not super excited about parma that seems what i read that they love football they love the idea and they love kind of the the pageantry behind it um but they don't live and die with you know parma's success which makes sense because the team has probably just beaten them down for the last hundred years almost um with the with the ups and downs you just you just take it for what it is i guess when you get to a point and you're a parma fan um they also do not have any players wear the number 12. Yep. Because, um, and I, this is not just rare to Parma, but they don't wear that and kind of reserve it for the fans. Um, I know that Seattle, the Seattle Seahawks, they call their fans the 12s, uh, but I, I'd never heard of a, the number actually just not being worn by any player just because it, it's technically the fan's number, which I thought was was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I got for traditions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I the, the 12 thing is nice. It's, it's a nice touch. I'm not sure I, I buy into that as, as much. Um, but yeah. Well, and the, the dichotomy between calling the fans placid, but then also right. keeping the number separate doesn't quite add up to me, but yeah, that, I guess it, that's kind of where my hesitation comes from. Like, you know, if, if you gave, uh, people in the cop number twelve. I could see, that, yeah, that, that that makes sense. Or in Dortmund, the uh, yellow wall. But here, I, I don't understand it as much. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, cameos, cameos. Yeah. Um, back to me talking about managers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think here we we've got we've got our own point system in, in the podcast. Uh, and Ranieri might be a double point now because he's been he's been he's been mentioned a lot in England and in um, in Italy. Yeah, Lester, uh, we did the Leicester pod. He's a pretty big player at that club, right? So um, Ranieri is is most known for 
for coming in and um, and helping uh, Parma avoid relegation um, back in uh, 2007. So this is this is uh, after after their their rise. Um, sorry, yeah, the, the beginning of their of their um, of their fall actually. So he saves them. Um, they they barely get by. He he leaves uh, Parma to go take on a, a bigger job at at no 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 than than Juventus uh, than Juventus. So he leaves and goes to the evil evil empire. Um, not long after he leaves, Parma actually get relegated. Um, but yeah, so that was his his stint. It was one season, uh, a proper cameo for a coach. Um, Arrigo Sacchi. Uh, was a young guy coming up through the ranks as a coach when he first took over Parma. So um, he was at Fiorentina, which is a club that we also covered on the, on the pod mm-hmm. as a coach, um, and then actually attracted the attention of um, <laughs> none other than Silvio Berlusconi. Um, so Berlusconi was... was um, Kind of just keep an eye, keep an eye on him uh, as he's going up up through. Um, Parma Parma was promoted uh, under Sachi's Sachi's um, reign, and yeah, uh, <laughs> kind of just leaves leaves them there and, and has his own career um, elsewhere. You know, we, we know him best at, at Milan, and, and he kind of goes on to become a Milan legend. Later on, um, speaking of Milan, we got Cesar Maldini, who we also covered in the last pod. And Maldini's uh, only there for two years, um, kind of cuts teeth at Parma and then goes on. It's a, uh, it's a kind of a, a trend of, of managers really just going through these positions as as like jobs or stepping stones. No one really um, stays in uh, in a spot for too long. And you kind of bounce around a lot, and you kind of bounce back to uh, to a club. Um, you know, even after leaving them for, for a decade or so, uh, right. not not strange at all. Uh, next on the list, uh, sorry, not yeah, is uh, Ancelotti, who's also somebody deserves his own point system. Ancelotti um, actually played and managed uh, Milan, uh, sorry Parma. Um, he, I mean, what can we say about this guy, or what do we not say about this guy? He's currently at Everton, um, leading them on on this kind of renaissance over there. In, in Liverpool, um, great name, storied, storied guy. He's probably got a, an amazing collection of stories uh, throughout his time in Italy. I mean, he's been at Reggiana, so they're they're kind of rival. Went to Parma, then Juventus. So I'm mean, talking about sandwiching all your rivals in, in your career resume. Yeah, uh, and then going from Juventus to, to Milan. So like, it's just like pick all the, all the clubs that are, are gonna hate me the most for for leaving this club and going to the next one. <laughs> He's like kind of starting a, a room of ex-girlfriends. Um, <laughs> he's mad at mad at everybody. Um, yeah, uh, but you know he's he's a great manager and a career that I've I've enjoyed watching a lot. So those are the coaches, and then you know we can go in a little bit more about um, these names. So Gigi Buffon as a player, Fabio Cannavaro as a player, Hernan Crespo, and these are these are names that um, we know more familiar with other clubs. Um, but in fact, when you brought this up in their kind of uh, rise in the '90s, um, that was where they all started, mm. um, and that, they were kind of all on that um, team and um, helped them on to success uh, along along their way of, of just rising the ranks as as football legends. You know, I think every one of those guys left 
left the football um, professional scene with a good amount of trophies and a good amount of accolades. Is that where is that where Buffon started? I believe so. He's a young Buffon. Yeah, <laughs> uh, very young Buffon. Uh, he's I mean, he's still playing to this you know to this day. I know it's crazy, uh, which is which is nuts. But yeah, I mean that that adds to what we were saying about Italian players being able to extend their careers an extra three to five years um, and still be playing at top flight. Uh, so whatever they're eating or whatever's in that water. They're, I want some of that. Um, he was there but, from yeah, he was there from '95 to '01, and that was where he started. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and, you know, and Hernan Crespo uh, leaves Parma, um, leaves Parma, uh, I think, to Lazio for one of the biggest uh, transfer fees at that time. Um, and this is kind of so Lazio uh, or Fiorentina. Maybe I feel it was Lazio. You might be right. It was Lazio. I, I could be mistaken. No, you you're you're right. He went to, from Lazio. What was the uh, what was the price tag on on that transfer? Sixty two million. It was the most expensive transfer at the time. Yeah, um, I mean, to this day, that's, that's still a pretty good amount of money. Yeah, and he had he Crespo had three transfers. I was looking at his transfer fees. Three transfers totaling one hundred twenty million dollars. Um, kind of in that. 96 or 2000 to 2007 8 window he was transferred three times for 60 and then 40 and then 20 so his price kept decreasing but he was a he was a pricey striker right yeah yeah so those are those are my cameos there um i i i love that i can i can bring up some of these guys that um are kind of just written or etched in stone in the football folklore yeah it's it's uh it's a pretty it's just I, the manager st- stuff. The fact that Sachi kind of found his way from Fiorentina to Parma, and then from Parma to Milan. Like we've talked about each one of those clubs on this, and that just like the the owners just poach guys, right? I think Sachi ended up at Milan because Berlusconi was at a Parma Milan game where Parma beat Milan, and he was like, "I want that guy." Right, and then he just he went and got him, um, and that it's it's that money it's that money piece, you know. Same with Crespo and these smaller clubs that just I don't know have scar tissue from bankruptcies and trying to they just kind of they can't afford to keep the the top top guys around for too long. No, uh, heroes. So I had three. I put Crespo in as a hero. Um, he scored 80 total goals from 96 to 2000. Uh, he was actually not well-liked when he first got there. He played horribly for the first six months. I guess you can't really be surprised. The guy, I think, had come from... where He, he came from River Plate, so he was far, far from home. Um, but Ancelotti stuck with him, and he ended up leading the team to their best league finish. Um, in 97, they finished second... In uh, in Syria, they've never won the Scudetto, and he scored 12 goals in their final 27 games, and kind of just launched him off into a really good stretch of of forward play for them. Um, he helped Parma win the Coppa Italia, and he also scored the opening, and which ended up being the game-winning goal in the UEFA Cup final against Marseille uh, when they won that. So Crespo, I have on here. Nevio Scala is a uh, another. Uh, 
think he was a was he a manager now that I'm looking at the name and not realizing he managed Parma from 89 to 96 and in that chunk of time they won the Copa Italia in 92 the Cup Winners Cup and the European Super Cup in 93 the UEFA Cup in 95 um, he also managed runner-up teams in the Copa Italia in 95, the Cup Runners Cup in 94, uh, and twice in the Super Copa Italiana in 92 and 95. Um, so he won a bunch of trophies. He was part of the start of that golden era that um, that we've mentioned from kind of the early 90s to the early 2000s. And at the time he left in 96, he had also got them a third-place finish in Serie A in 95, which was the best finish at the time. Um, so those two I, I kind of picked out. And then we also, you and I picked out one guy who um, is the same. So I'll let you take on Lucarelli. Yeah. Um, Alessandro Lucarelli has his number uh, number six shirt retired um, by Parma. Um, he holds up the, the record for league appearances for the club. And stayed with the club from his um, kind of his dark years. Uh, so 2015 relegation from Syria to Serie D after that that bankrupt um, episode, um, and then just was with them through all the all the promotions from um, from Serie D up to Serie A. Um, I've got a, a a link there that I can hopefully click and not have an ad pop out of nowhere. Um, here we go. And, it's a little bit of audio kind of showing like his, his importance and, and what he means to to Parma. He was the man who stood up at the time when they were really going to the wall. He was the, the leader in the in the locker room who got everyone around him and, and helped the players make decisions together. And he was the one who ultimately stood up there and said, hey, we're not willing to be ignored anymore. You have to pay attention to what's happening in this club. So... Um, yeah, he, he's a guy who, uh, who stuck with it and, and, you know, um, he kind of led the locker room and got the players rallied around the, the club identity of, of Parma. So there was so much going on about not being paid and, um, not being able to kind of, you know, even just have administrative fees, um, covered for a match. So they can't even steward their matches. Uh, he's still getting up as a captain and saying, no, like we owe it to the fans. We owe it to the city. Um, we got to do it for them. And just had that, had that spirit even after such a tumultuous time. Uh, and then, you know, to actually get through and kind of come out as a hero by getting them back up to Syria. I mean, he, in this interview here, he, he says, um, for me, the, the Palmer, the Palmer shirt is like a, a second skin. Hmm. So it's kind of a two-way, a two-way street of, of uh, club and fan, and fans loving this player and this player loving the fans uh, back. Um, and I, like, yeah, man, like it, it can't. I can't think of a of a a better hero story for a club like Parma with with its history. Yes, and his is his number. Yeah, his number six is retired. The thing that's striking about him is his career as a whole and then what happened in those 10 years of Parma. So he is he was born in 1977, which means in 2008 when he came to Parma, he was 31 years old. It wasn't he was not new to this game. He had played for 1 2 3 4 5 6 7. He had played for 8 clubs over the course of his 
1996 to 2008 career. So over, you know, 12 years, he was bouncing around. He never had more than 89 appearances for any one club. So he started at uh, Piazzenza. He was on loan at Lefe. Uh, Palermo for 28 appearances, Fiorentina for 31 appearances, Livorno for 27, uh, Regina for 67, Siena for zero, Genoa for 29, and then he goes to Parma in 2008. He stays there for a decade and has 333 league appearances. He had 633 total appearances in his career, and so more than half of them came with Parma in the last 10 years of his career from 31 to 41 um that's like that is a story that you do not hear very often in in sports it's right. just, it's astounding that he i mean you you've said it on this pod a few times like the the extending of a career at 31 you'd think he was done he showed up he wrote out an entire <laughs> bankruptcy and going he could have he was 35 36 he could have been like screw this right i'm i'm going home i'm not playing in serie d and instead he stuck around and won three straight promotions and got to you know got the club back to syria and then retired yeah no and he retired in such a a a player at parma way um he retired at the promotion party um at the stadio ennio tardini so it's a guy he's like it's just it's this family family man um, uh, going out, you know, into sunset. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a cool way to finish a career, and just extraordinarily rare. So I, the guy's got to be the hero of the club. I mean, his numbers retired, so that that says it. Mm. Yeah, he was a. Yeah, that was a cool, cool story, man. This, I, I got this this video here that I'll link to you. Um, it's got some really cool things about about uh, Parma as a history. So you'll you'll hear a, a few more clips from the story. Any villains? Villains. <laughs> this is this this might be up there with um, some of the other stranger stories we've heard uh, in in our podcast experience in history. Um, I put the dairy company uh, Parma lot as as a villain. Uh, I'm thinking about that. You know their story and, and how they were kind of caught in this, in this chaos and controversy of, of owing so much money. I, I, that's like, Sean, is there a team that is sponsored by hood milk or Gorelick farms? Well, the Red Sox have a pretty big tie with hood. Yeah. Um, so it'd be like, it'd be like the, like the Red Sox. I don't know, like getting dumped out of the, the MLB because hood uh, has an insane amount of debt and, and actually can't fund the team anymore. Yeah. I mean, didn't um, we have this with Blackburn? Right. With the chicken uh, company? The uh, poultry what, company? What's that What's that company called? I can't remember. It was so long ago. Oh, man. I, <laughs> with, the com- with the commercials and... Uh, yeah, so that's that's what I thought of um, when that when that popped up as a, as a thing. Blackburn... Venkies. 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 Thank you, Google. To be able to find it quickly. Uh, yeah, so that that was the 2015 um, disaster when that company just lost all its money and and uh, they had to restart again in Serie D because a dairy company, a huge conglomerate, just couldn't couldn't afford the club anymore. Right. Um, and I think I think 
uh, part of that whole fiasco, I have uh, Girardi and Tachi, uh, two guys that um, were owners and and kind of drove Parma down in, into into the uh, in the the ground essentially. Um, Girardi Girardi sold uh, Parma to Tachi uh, when he sold the Parma. It was understood that um, the debt was a certain amount, um, but actually, when when the the math was actually done properly, it was a lot more than than what was advertised. And I'll, I'll get into that later in the next segment. But um, two guys who who really just did not help the club at all. And Tachi, after realizing that he was in over his head, sells Parma <laughs> uh, a, a month a month a month and a half after he uh, he, he bought the club. Um, and it's crazy because. His name isn't isn't even on uh, like the, the Wikipedia as as like an outright owner. He, his time was so short that he wasn't even recognized. It was this was in like a, a documentary that I can share with you um, offline. But interesting, interesting story here. Yeah, huh? Um, yeah, I don't have any. I didn't have any villains. I think sometimes you know we get these small clubs that I think the I think it's fair to look at the ownership and. Not a lot of, not a lot of, like, you know, fans are placid. There's not a lot of that hatred. I think they, you know, it, it says, it says a lot when the club that we learn about twinned, you know, twinned clubbing right. is this, if we're learning about that, then they don't have a lot of villains. They're making friends with other clubs. Yeah. They're the nice yeah, kidding class. Yeah. You have to now. Like, you're going to get beat up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about darkest moment? Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just play this um, this clip here as to start it off. And Perfect. We'll, we'll get into it. Great. In Parma, where a big business like Parmalat, another name that all the world knows. What happened with Parmalat was, was spectacular. They were almost one percent of Italian GDP at a certain point. They employed thirty six thousand people across the country, and it turned out that there was essentially. Uh, substantial fraud going on throughout the business and you know millions in fact i think it was billions of, of euros that were just missing black holes in the company that weren't there after the parmalat crack uh, parma was uh, in a controlled administration parma didn't go under they were supported in a sort of strange existence for four years by administrators we came in in 2007 and finally yeah so their low point i think um it's it starts off uh with this um, unveiling of fraud by by Parmalat, the this dairy company, and then it kind of it, it crescendos um, when it's sold by Tachi. So uh, the man mentioned uh, Girardi uh, sold Parma when it was in crazy debt um, right after Parmalat fiasco happened. So to Tachi, Tachi came in a month and a half, did the math, uh, found out that forty to fifty million of debt was more like two hundred million of debt. And, and left. He sells, Tachi sells Parma for one euro to some dude out of nowhere named Manenti. Um, the club was allowed to finish, uh, but finished bottom of the league. Uh, the players tried playing without being paid, but, you know, um, even just kind of getting security at the, at the gates um, couldn't be funded. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, sold for one euro. I mean, <laughs> not long ago, we were talking about, talking about uh, GameStop. Yeah. Um, now, now, now we got a, a whole club being sold for a euro, and it's not like you—it's not like you actually profit off of this. So, so you you buy you you pay the euro, but you're also you're actually taking on 
200 plus million dollars of, of debt yeah a million euros of debt so it's just it's it's insane um and that i i really can't figure out a, a worse point in their history yeah um, I, so i think the the part i picked out ties to what you wrote about so i have a <clears throat> i've kind of a little chunk that i pulled from wikipedia and i'm just going to read it because i i think it would be better than me trying to boil it down so in 2014 Donadani Donadani guided Parma to sixth in Syria and a third consecutive top ten finish, but a return to Europe in the Europa League for the first time since 2007 was barred due to the late payment of income taxes on salaries, not qualifying for the UEFA license, for which the club would be docked points during the 2014-15 Syria season. So they they kind of screwed themselves out of a European spot, and that's obviously going to lose you money. Financial troubles precipitated a succession of ownership changes. I think that's what you were just talking about. And the club's eventual bankruptcy in March 2015 with total liabilities of 218 million euro, including 63 million euro unpaid salaries. Oh, wow. That's a lot. That's so much money. The club was allowed to finish the season, but finished bottom of the league in 20th place, which is what you talked about. Administrators Angelo Aneta and Alberto Giotto were forced to put some trophies to sell in an auction in a desperate attempt to raise money to cover the debt. These included three Copa Italia won in 92, 99, and 2002, the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup from 1993, the 94 UEFA Super Cup, two UEFA Cup of 95 and 99, and the 1999 Supercopa Italiana. They were selling the trophies that they won during their golden era because of these financial troubles. I, I can't even believe that. And also, I, I have no idea what they cost. It would be interesting to see what they caught on the market. I'm guessing it didn't really help pay the 63 million euro salary that they were behind on. No, I mean, I, what do what do trophies get on on a, on an auction? What a, I just I could not imagine a club. That's that's like the thing that uh, an athlete does who needs to make some money or needs to pay off some debt, you know, like OJ Simpson was selling his trophies and then went and tried to get them back by robbing somebody in Vegas. But like, that's a thing you hear about individuals doing. I've never heard of a club selling their trophies. Yeah. I mean, and and it's not like these are, these are, you know, smaller trophies, right? Like, um, these, I mean, the Copa Italia is, is something that, that, a player dreams of winning. Yeah, uh, it's an FA Cup. Yeah, I, the, the the Super Cup, um, the UEFA Cup before it was known as, as kind of a Champions League. I mean, this is this is nuts, man. I mean, it's every. I'm looking at the the trophies that they won. It's basically every trophy that they had won from in that golden era. Did they sell it as a, as a package, like 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 a bundle? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Buy three, it's only going to cost you $3,000. Buy one, get one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I would imagine they probably sold, maybe maybe they sold them in in uh, by tournament, you know, so you could buy the three Copa Italias. I, but just what a staggering low point, and it ties in with your, with your debt-ridden um, same low point, finishing 20th place and just needing a little bit of money. Yeah. It's incredible. I and I just I kind of want to like just come back to to Parma, e- even though we talked about this being a low point or the lowest point in their history. 
Um, I, I think in general, too, the fact that they're so up and down, it, it, it makes them a club that's maybe hard to, to, to love. Um, so I have here the the last uh, 20 uh, finishes in, in, in the last 20 years. So in 2001, they finish uh, in 10th. Uh, next year, they finish in 5th. They repeat that that level up in 5th. Um, they barely uh, avoid relegation, uh, coming in 18th place in 2004. Mid-table, um, 05. Mid-table, 06. Uh, barely avoiding relegation. Oh, sorry, they, they get relegated in 07, 08. Um, they come back up after 08, 09. Mid-table through the 2010s. Uh, relegation at 2015. Um, you know, fourth tier, third tier, second tier, uh, and only just stabilized, but... Right now, currently, they're they're you know looking at another relegation. Yeah. Um. You know, I, you sent me a text. Uh, it just said poor Parma. <laughs> oh, and I I don't know what was sadder, like reading that text and, and knowing that I was getting into this this pretty depressing story, or, or just looking out the window and like getting the snowstorm again. <laughs> <laughs> the the other before we get to the uh, the best trophy because they do have some they did have a good run. Um. The other interesting, I, the other thing I love about looking through the Wikipedia pages is, and I talked about this with Berlusconi um, on Milan's pod, what, where they break up the kind of the timeline. So for Parma, this is these are how they these are the titles that they give the chunks of of time, the little mini generations, if you will, early years, nineteen thirteen and nineteen sixty eight. That's the first one. Great, pretty much what every club has. 1968 to 1989, rebirth and improvement. 90, 1989 to 2004, success and insolvency. <laughs> 2004 to 2015, rebirth and another bankruptcy. 2015 to present, another rebirth. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's... Um, it's really bad. It's a tough. It's a tough one. I think it's why the fans are are placid. It's why they can afford to try to sell off trophies. Um, what is your? What is the best trophy that you think Parma did win? I'm not sure if they have it in their trophy case anymore. But sorry, Sean. Uh, how many rebirths was mentioned? I think it was three. Okay, so it's, so just to back up a little bit. To, in order to be reborn, you have to die. So three. This club died three times. <laughs> three times. Like, what was it Lethal Weapon 4? It's like, what's the, how many sequels can you have? I'm too old for this <laughs> stuff. I mean, even the fact that the club was named something in July and four months later they were like, ah, we're going to change the name. Right. It just the whole, uh, it's all, it's just, it's how the whole thing started. Yeah. If, if any club deserves to be called a Phoenix or, or as a mascot, it's, I think I think it's Parma. It's Parma. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, best trophy for me. I, I I have another link here, uh, a little audio clip that I'll, I'll play for a few seconds. Um, Great. It's the Cup Winners Cup, and I think this it's a uh, it's better told in this audio. And this is a ten minute documentary by Copa ninety. Um, it's awesome. It's fantastic. It's it's a really succinct storytelling of of a, of a sad story. But here we go. Wembley, when the Parma beats the Antwerp and go and win the Champions Cup. It's the first time. Nobody knows Parma like a big team. But Parma, uh, since the first season, start to win. 
start to win and build or make possible a fairy tale. It was very, very important that behind Parma were a... So this, this trophy, I'd actually put them on the map. Um, no, uh, for me, that, that, that kind of like gets them that momentum, gets them the, the financial backing um, and, you know, really kind of launches them in, into a bit of success for a little bit. That's, that's, that's my vote. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it is their first European success. Uh, they had won the Coppa Italia in 92, which was really their first trophy that they, that they had ever won. Um, I, so I had that one kind of picked out. And the other one I thought just when I saw that they beat Antwerp, uh, no disrespect to any Antwerp fans out there who might be listening to this, but I, it just didn't, it didn't move me. And then I looked at who they beat in the, um, 95 UEFA cup final. They beat Juventus, which, which for me felt like, man, that's, that's like the next the next level. So you you win a trophy in Europe, and then you win another trophy in Europe, a uh, a bigger trophy in Europe, and you're beating Juventus while you're doing it. Uh, felt to me like the just the other one at least worth mentioning because I had both of those listed, and I'm glad you picked out that that um, that little clip. And the word fairy tale is pretty much a perfect. That guy said it, you know it's a fairy tale story. Um, which is exactly what this little run was. I mean, they won a ton of trophies for 10 years. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They won eight trophies over that, over that kind of decade time. Um, definitely a fairy tale. And your trophy started the fairy tale. And I think the UEFA Cup kind of cemented them as a club that could believe in themselves. And then they went and, you know, <laughs> bought Crespo and, or found Crespo and won a couple more trophies, uh, and and just kind of had a, a little, a little solid run. Um, how about your close call? What could have been? Yeah, um, two two moments. Uh, one was this renaissance not happening. Like, um, I, I think the fact that it's happened three times now. It, it I don't know. I mean, it, there's there is a risk of. Maybe the fourth time this club dies, if if that happens, there's just no more Parma. Yeah. Um, you know, so maybe they, maybe they don't come back. I mean, how many times can you die before you, you're just done and dusted? Yeah. Um, so that's one. And two is, you know, for for a country in a league who's got so much um, controversy uh, surrounding uh, match fixing, I, I just I, I I read this. And I just got so like interested and so kind of confused. So here we go. <laughs> I'm gl- I remember this, and I'm glad you pulled it out because it is excellent. Yeah. Uh, so on July 23rd, uh, 2018. So like I mean, we're talking you know not even not even three years ago. Parma were handed five a five point deduction for the 2018-2019 Serie A season. So two years ago, uh, following text messages from Parma player Emmanuel. Kalau, uh, eliciting a reduced effort from two players of Spezia, uh, Filippo De, De Cole and Claudio Terzi, during the 2017-2018 season, a match Parma won 2-0 to secure promotion. <laughs> you you can unpack that, uh, you know, a lot of different ways, um, and so many things to unpack from that. But one is like, 
you would think the league would be more strict and more kind of severe in their in their uh, reactions to hearing about match fixing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, five points doesn't seem like anything. I mean, if if that happened in the prem, I think that there'd be there'd be just riots almost. Um, well, and the five, I think it was it it was um, it didn't happen. Yeah, like the, they got they did not get deducted those points. Um, so that was that was weird, and and then two, the last thing you need as as a as a Parma anything, a fan, a player, a manager, a, whatever, uh, after all that history of up and downs, is is something like as damning as this. I mean, you know, I, there's there's a world where where the the punishment is more severe than, than five points never being handed to you. Um, so that was that was kind of what what could have been or. You know, maybe if if there were some different people involved, what what would happen if if uh, there's just more strict policy? Yeah. So, I, reading the quote that you pulled, and I think I, I I read something similar. The eliciting a reduced effort that you read is actually in quotes, like that was whatever was in the text message, and he sent it to two players. How many players would he have had to send it to for it to actually matter? Oh. Like, are we talking? If if it was to five players, would that have garnered yeah. some sort of harsher, or like, would would it have stuck? Um, and right. then I also just not in defense of the guy who sent it, uh, Emmanuel Kalau, but who knows if this guy had been on the team since they were in Serie D and he was just desperate to get the hell out of the lower divisions because that promotion would have been into Serie A. Mm-hmm. Right, so that was that promotion that they secured was from Serie B to Serie A. Um, at like these guys are so desperate to just get out of the lower leagues and lower levels. Uh, doesn't make it okay, but I just I thought eliciting a reduced effort was a really, <laughs> really funny way of putting it, and just sending it to two guys like, hey, just don't try. Was it the goalie? I don't know who who either of those two players are. Look them up, but I'll look them up right now. I mean. Yeah, like what? What? Where's the line of uh, actually like you? Oh, I can't believe you asked three players to uh, have a reduced effort. Yeah, um, you know, like, but two. All right, two is fine. Don't worry about two. Yep. How uh, many guys do you think would have to have a reduced effort for a game to be impacted? Does it depend uh, on the position? It depends on the position and, and the team. I mean, yeah, that's true. You, you go to Arsenal, ask one guy to. A reduced effort, and you're you're losing, <laughs> you're losing five nil. Um, huh? Okay, so so Filippo Filippo Cole is a right back. Okay. And Claudio Terzi is another defender. So he, I guess he asked he asked the the right back and a center back to to put in a reduced effort. Which okay, sure. And they could still uh, only they only scored two goals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'd have to watch that game uh, to see how, how the goals were scored. Well, you but, said you said it was two nothing in your in your note here. A match Parma won two nothing. But like, well, how were they scored? Oh, right, right. And also, so so the forwards were trying hard, and they for Spezia, and they couldn't score. Right. Would a zero zero game have mattered? Like, who? All these questions uh, we don't know the answers mm-hmm. to because we're asking them on the fly. But, um. Yeah, just you, have we had have we had one Italian pod where we didn't talk about match fixing? 
or some kind of like insane <laughs> broader controversy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, was they, were they? Yeah, they're pretty chill. Right. I yeah, think they. They're, they're, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's, that's my close call. What could have been? Yeah, that's fair. I didn't. I that's a good one to pull. I'm glad you found it. Uh, or it, I saw it too, but it did not register with me as a close call. Um, well, I guess that's it on Parma. Do you have any, any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, one last one. Um, Parma, Parma, you know, as, as sad as the story has been um, from kind of one perspective, the other perspective is, is that that's kind of the beauty of, of being a fan of a sport. It's just you, you don't choose and uh you stick with your club um and we've seen that from the fans we've seen that from from a player like alessandro uh lucarelli so if, if if i learned anything from this research man it's it's that love is complex and crazy <laughs> that's for sure and if when in doubt and your team's not that good just find another club to root for as well right be fans of them or send them text messages to not try <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and, and I guess now that as you say that, that does make the twin thing uh, more relevant to Parma because they had seasons where they just didn't even really have a team to root for. Yeah. So like, let's go find someone else to kind of hitch our wagon to for a little bit. Um, anyways, that was that was a good one. I'm not sure who we're going to do next, uh, but we will try to pick someone that's that doesn't have the word rebirth in their Wikipedia for you know three or four times. <laughs> Right. Um, but thanks, Boff. And um, yeah, we'll talk soon. See ya. See ya.